everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay, and I'm in my, I'm in my new studio. I'm at my standing desk, and it just feels good. I feel like I'm, I'm speaking to a crowd more than just talking into a microphone. So I'll try to put this up on YouTube. If you happen to be somebody that wants to watch a podcast uh, instead of listen or do both, then I would love for you to go check that out. And I'll, I, not a lot to promote here. Magnetic Marriage Course is coming very, very soon. So if you go to tonyoverbay.com slash magnetic, you can find out more or just email me about it. And I'm going to get a lot of information coming out over the next week or two because the course is starting uh, the second week of October. And so I would love to, to answer your questions or, or get you on board because this is round three and the first two rounds have been incredible. And also the Waking Up the Narcissism podcast, I can't even say enough about how how well that's been received. It's even hard for me to say that. I sound like I'm being an, ego, an egomaniac or the narcissist that I'm, I'm talking about, the Waking Up the Narcissism, but it's just been phenomenal. And there are a lot of people that are really feeling heard through that podcast. So if you haven't checked that out, please go take a look at that. So today I want to be so honest and authentic and vulnerable and all of those wonderful therapist things and let you know that I was made aware of some research that then I have asked the person who provided me with the research to, if they can dig that research up and share it with me. And so I got a hold of that and it's incredibly nerdy and geeky. So I'm going to summarize something that has been, it's blown my mind and it's uh, about the way that the human brain works. And it has to do with, well, it's going to validate a lot of things. I feel like I'm given this big setup and, and I'm going to wait till the very end to deliver. And I'm really not going to do that. So let me do this. It's story time. Let me take you on my train of thought. A few weeks ago, I did a podcast on the road to differentiation bill. Pretty awkward topic, but that one's been really, really well received. And in essence, I was talking about working with somebody that had had this religious OCD, this scrupulosity. And in order to get them to a good place, it took a lot of time for them to go from this uh, question of how do they commune with the divine to then not sure if they commune with the divine or if there is a divine. And then over time, then really leaning into finding out who they are, their sense of purpose, their values, um, their value-based goals. And the more that they really found who they were, the more that then they really felt like they connected to the divine, to, to God, to the universe, to a higher power. And so that brought about this kind of a concept or a vibe that sometimes we're just doing things maybe the wrong way, where we're caught up in this, who should I listen to? Who should I believe? This person says this, this other person says that. And so it can cause us to feel a lot of anxiety. Uh, we can feel a, a little bit of depression from that. And then we start to really try to find ourselves and we start to move in that direction of who we really feel like we are and the things that matter are important to us. But then when somebody just says, Ooh, I don't know if I agree with you, or are you sure you want to do that? We often go just running back over into the, into our attachment wounds. And we find ourselves just going back into, ah, do I really, do I really believe that I'm this new person or this person that really has these different values or goals, or do I need to go back and, and try to make others happy and be who others want me to be? Now, the answer to that, and I would love for you to go listen to that podcast is that no, the more time you spend in just your own sense of self and finding your sense of purpose and what values really matter to you, that while that could be uncomfortable at first, over time, you become differentiated. Again, differentiation is where one person ends and the other begins. So you are your own individual, whether you're in a relationship in your marriage or you're your own individual in your relationship with your parents or your church or whatever it is, I want you to find out who you are 
And that will eventually feel like your more confident self, but it does take time. Anyway, you can go listen to that podcast. I'm really, I really was excited about the feedback from that one alone. The person that I was working with that had this scrupulosity that's in this amazing place right now had had recommended a book to me called On Being Certain by an MD named uh, Burton. And it's a fantastic book, although I will jokingly say that it comes with a, a free existential crisis. What I mean by that is some of the concepts in the book are just really fascinating. But when the person was sharing the information about this book, they also shared with me this research. And so I had the two confused and I was telling people in my office and I even had a couple of opportunities to speak where I was accrediting this research to the book on being certain. And again, the book on being certain is phenomenal, but the research that this person had shared with me that I'm going to just summarize in uh, in a nutshell, and then I'm excited to share my thoughts with this. The research, there was in, in essence, some research done and it was talking about the, how we react. What do we do in that instant moment when our brain then connects with our body and then we have this reaction? And the way it was presented to me was that there was in essence, some sort of a modified game of rock, paper, scissors between two people. And this is not actually any technical terms, but pretend that one person has this somewhat of a functional brain scan helmet, for lack of a better word. I got to talk with someone who literally reads brain scans and they let me know, yeah, there's not really a helmet. So I don't know if it's electrodes or whatever that looks like. But so one person is connected to this functional um, MRI so it can read what the brain is doing. And a person across from them was the way that I understood the research had some sort of uh, whether it's earphones or ear pods or something like that in. So they play this modified game of rock, paper, scissors, where one person is lifting a hand, uh, left hand or right hand. And there's some combination where one person wins, the other person loses. So when the functional brain scan helmet is not fired up, then it's a, it's, it's a random game of chance. So let's say that 50, 50, 50% of the time, one person wins 50% of the time, the other does. Now where things got interesting was uh, that when the functional brain scan helmet was fired up, then there's a moment before the person lifts their hand where their brain sends a signal and says, lift your hand. And in that moment was where there was uh, some sort of program that was then sent over to the person that was sitting opposite of the person with the functional brain scan helmet on. And it alerted them of what this person is about to do, the what hand the person is about to raise. So with this information, whether it was a beep that went into one of the ear pods or whatever that looked like, the person across from the person with the functional brain scan helmet would then raise their hand first instead, whatever that was, that they would win this game and they would win every time. So what that, that's fascinating. If you think about it, then what that's in essence saying is that the we are we react and then our brain quickly comes in and creates this narrative or this story to explain why we reacted. Now, I'm going to go, I'm going to take you on my train of thought here because this is not anything that uh, an article said or that sort of thing, but I find some things fascinating in just the work that I get to do. And we're going to take a step back and go a little bit psychology nerd here. So there's a thing called relational frame theory and relational frame theory. I've alluded to it in a couple of other podcasts, but at its foundation, we are the only uh, animal species that puts together these uh, concept thoughts uh, or relational frames. So if I say to somebody, if they, if in my room right now, I'm looking uh, right in front of me, and I have an apple and I have a bottle of water. So if I said to somebody, 
hey, which one, which one do you like best? And then if they say, well, what do you mean? And then I would say, I mean, there's no rules. What do you like best? And somebody might not be a fan of water. It's too bland. All they like to drink is soda. So they would like the apple or somebody might say that I mean, anytime they get an apple, it's really squishy. And so they're not an apple fan. So they would like the water. So they can relate the two things and put them in this relational frame and then say which one that they like better or, or worse. So there's uh, some information around relational frame theory that says every other animal species doesn't put those relational frames together. And what they do is when they see something, it's either a threat, they want to kill it, they want to eat it, they want to run from it, or they may want to reproduce with it. So it's really just this instinctual part of the, the brain that most, almost all animals are living with this instinctual part of the brain. So then we have these fascinating brains that have these two hemispheres and this gray area in the middle, it's called the corpus callosum. And that's where the connectivity from each hemisphere to the other is communicating back and forth. So now I go back to this functional brain scan helmet and the ear pods. So what happened there? The person reacted and then they quickly then their brain told them a, a narrative of why they reacted because they thought the other person was going to raise this hand or because they had raised a, a different hand the time before. And so here's where some significance is. And again, this is just taking you on my train of thought, but I think it's really fascinating. So the belief there would be that we are, in essence, these reactionary creatures. Okay, I am so giddy about this. And this is so silly because I know that you're just listening to the podcast, but it's been a couple of hours since I recorded it. And I never go back and listen to myself because it just kind of feels odd. But I did some editing. I took out all the uh, uh, uhs and the ums. I'm not going to take them out of this one. And then I had it just playing while I was cleaning my office. And I missed the whole point. I missed a huge point that I was making when I'm telling about these functional brain scan helmets and this sort of thing. So I'm coming back in here, but here's the crazy, oh, you want to hear the wild and crazy world of the therapist. Uh, Dr. Nick, the chiropractor could walk in any moment into the office next door. And I just turned off the white noise machine. I mean, talk about living on the edge. So I got to get this thing recorded. So here's the part that uh, I guess in essence, you wouldn't even know that I missed because now I'm recording it. So I didn't even have to say all those things, but so we just talked about how we're these reactionary creatures and I can't help myself. I have on a sticky note here. I was sharing this with a client in my office and she's this, uh, this amazing, I think she's uh, 20, maybe 19, 20. And she said, what I was talking about that were these reactionary creatures, the way it was described to me was that in essence, we're these 3 billion neurons. That's what we're comprised of 3 billion neurons that are just reacting to stimulus. And so she said, wait, so are you telling me that uh, I'm just walking around piloting this human meat suit? And that feels equally kind of creepy to say, but also sounds like an amazing name for an alternative band, the human meat suit. But her point was very valid that if we are just these reactionary creatures, how fascinating. And the part that I was just, I thought was interesting. Again, this is just my, my thoughts, my theories is that I go back to the, we're just these, uh, all the other animals are these reactionary creatures. And I often talk about the way that the brain works and creating habits. So the, the way I understand it, the brain is working off of this flawed premise to begin with, that it has this finite amount of electrical activity. So it needs to conserve energy so that it will live forever. Your own brain's trying to do all it can to live. And so when the reason we create habits is because if we tie our shoes over and over again, then we can put this into this part of our brain called the basal ganglia, which is the habit center. And it requires far less electrical activity than new, uh, stimulating, exciting things do. And so the more things we can put into this habit center, the more we can find these deeply rutted neuropathways, 
then our brain really thinks it's doing us a solid because it says, yeah, don't worry. You might not be very happy on a day-to-day basis, but you're going to live forever. But I would rather be happy because also the brain is wrong. I can be happy and live a lot longer. And as a matter of fact, I think the whole premise is flawed. Bless my brain's pink, squishy heart. I think the more we live, the more we feel connected to the sense of purpose that we will live longer because our emotional baseline will, will rise and will reduce those cortisol and stress levels, which will let us just be more present. So when it comes to this basal ganglia, this little habit center, I often say that um, I remember the first time I heard about it, it was, I think it was squirrels and fish. All their brain is, is a little basal ganglia. So they do nothing but live instinctually just to avoid, uh, to avoid danger and eat and reproduce. And that's about it. So if you look at our brain has evolved to this really fascinating thing that then can now reason and make sense. We got these different parts of the brain, but the premise of this research was that, so we're piloting this human meat suit. We just react to these situations. But then what our brain does is within nanoseconds, it comes in and then creates a narrative to explain why we did what we did, because we desperately want to find reasons to why we do the things that we do. So this premise was that we react and then we try to, then we say, here's why I did that. But we often tell ourselves that, oh no, I was well in control of my actions. So sometimes I think just that acceptance of that, oh no, I just, I just reacted and, and bless my, again, bless my brain's pink, squishy heart. I reacted because I'm a human being that my body has, has these responses built in because of all the experiences that I've been through. And I, I will save this for a later date, but I do a fair amount of betrayal trauma training and I'm not trying to give anyone uh, ammunition or ever to tell the betrayed that they, how they need to handle, especially right after D-Day or right after they feel that betrayal. But so often they just want to make sense of things. And that's where I often say that no one starts a marriage and says, I'm going to have an affair. No one starts a marriage and says, I'm going to take someone back if there was infidelity. Uh, matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. But then people, just because of all the situations that they've gone through in their lives, often find themselves reacting in a situation and then trying to make sense of it. When in reality, it's hard to make sense of something in hindsight, because there were so many variables that led up to making the decision that one did. And so what we're basically trying to do so often in our own brains is say, why did I do that? What's wrong with me? Why can't I stop doing that? Why? When the, re- the real answer is, and I always say what I love about acceptance and commitment therapy is more like saying, man, check out what I did like that. That's fascinating. So let's kind of uh, step outside. They kind of say it's called self in, in context. Let me step outside of my, myself and say, huh, I wonder why I did that. And then I can look at all these variables. I can look at triggers. I can look at the fact that maybe I was hungry or angry or lonely or tired, that HALT acronym. Or I can just look at the fact that I don't feel like we were connecting. I'm not talking about you know the infidelity per se, but even anything that we do, we immediately say, this is why I did it. And that's the whole book on being certain is talking about what if, what if certainty is not a real, it's, a, not, it's not a concrete premise. You know, what if it's more of a, we're these reactionary creatures that then come up with this narrative to try to make sense of what we just did. And, and I feel like that would definitely change the way that we look at ourselves. And I'm saying in a way of giving ourselves grace that we are just reacting because of all the situations we've been through. You know, we have these visceral reactions. If we go into a, a house where there were not good experiences growing up, we know it, we feel it, we feel it in our bones. It's our visceral reaction. And so I feel like that is the example of the body keeps the score of that we are reacting and then we're trying to make sense of why. So that was a part I missed in this whole initial recording. And so I am going to now jump right back in. Also, I noticed at the beginning, I say the word fascinating far too many times and that in itself is fascinating. So let me get back to the podcast.
And I feel like this goes a little bit along with my love of acceptance and commitment therapy, where in acceptance and commitment therapy, I, I always say, you are the only version of you. You are a product of your nature and nurture, birth order, DNA, abandonment, rejection, hopes, fears, dreams, loves, all of those things make you who you are. So in this research I'm talking about, it in essence is saying the same thing, that your brain reacts because of all of the stimulus, all the data that's collected throughout your life that then brings you to that very moment. So a few other things I think are fascinating about that. One is it validates this concept that I see in therapy all the time where people come in and they want this instant change. Who, who doesn't really want instant change? But if your brain is reacting to situations and these situations are things that have been part of your experience throughout your entire life, then we are really just reacting via these deeply rutted neuro pathways. So when we immediately walk into a room, we feel a certain feeling or we're around someone that we don't necessarily feel safe around and our body keeps the score and it, it raises our stress or our cortisol level, then that's a pretty dug in deep neuro pathway. So that's a process where when somebody says, what's wrong with me, I'm really trying to work on things now, but I still just have this icky vibe or this bad feeling around someone or around something. Or if they feel like I know that there's something I want to do, but I just can't get myself to do it. Then I want to say you're normal. You're human. That your brain has been adapting to create these deeply rutted neuro pathways based on all the experiences that you've been through in your life. So the, the desire to change behavior is a wonderful desire, but it's going to take a little bit of time. And I've broken the pop psychology myth many times on other episodes that it takes far more than 21 days to create a new habit. That is, that is an unfortunate one that is perpetuated by the self-help industry, psychologists, therapists like myself. And that comes from, and I've, I've talked about this on other podcasts, but it comes from a plastic surgeon that was, uh, I think was accompanying people at war. And when someone would have an arm amputated or, or uh, blown off in war, that they would still feel this phantom pain for up to 21 days. So then everybody ran with that and said, okay, it takes 21 days for the brain to then realize, oh, there's no arm there, but it's far more complex than that. So we have so many variables that are going on that it really can take a while to change behavior. So first of all, it's okay. It's okay that if you've tried to pick up a new exercise routine and it's been a few months and it still hasn't stuck yet, you're human. It's all right. And no problem. So I felt like that was fascinating. First of all, to give yourself some grace that it does take time to do new behaviors. But here's the key. I feel like this is the biggest piece. And I hope that I can express this in the way that I, I want to. But what I feel like this research really is validating is the fact that the more we just think, the more we try to think our way out of a thinking problem, and in actuality, what we're doing is digging those neural pathways even deeper. That if we really want new behavior, or if we really feel stuck, that then we can notice that we are ruminating, thinking, trying to really figure something out, whatever that can mean to the individual. But what are we waiting for? We have to start taking action. And I talk often about, ideally, we want to find our values, and then we want to take action. We want to create some sort of value-based goal, because that could be something that is of meaning to us, that we can have a sense of purpose. I gave an example a few weeks ago on a podcast about feeling a little bit flat at this NBA summer league basketball game. And then just noticing that I was feeling flat, not trying to stop that feeling or change the thought or stop the thought or any of those type of things, because 
if you've if you've really tried to do that, it may work at times, but then often it, we go right back to being human because that's the way our brain works. So I noticed I was feeling flat. I pull out my phone. I've got a value of curiosity or connection with my those around me that I love. And so I start looking up these interesting fun facts by the players that were on the court. And then we're having discussion. And before I know it, I'm not thinking about the fact that I was feeling low. I feel like that's a significant thing. So if you take this data that I'm talking about, then it's normal to feel stuck. It's normal to feel like I have to figure something out first. But in reality, those I got to figure it out might just be a story that our brain is, is, is connecting us to or hooking us to or trying to get us to buy into because... If we buy into that story, then we don't have to take action. And taking action is often the scariest part. We know what it feels like to try to just sit and ruminate and figure out. But what that often leads to is feeling like we didn't do what we wanted to do during the day. And then we say, you know what, I'll just start tomorrow. And boy, I love that the old I'll do it tomorrow, because if you hit midweek, I'll do it next week. If you hit the middle of the month, I'll do it next month. And if you hit the middle of the year, I'll just start with a New Year's resolution. But that is just kicking the can down the road. And I feel like now we have some data that says, and the process of kicking that can down the road is actually digging that neuropathway a little bit deeper. So what we need to do is start to take action. I can absolutely not, I can feel like I'm not even sure what my values are. I'm not even sure what to do next. And those are just stories my brain is trying to hook me to. I was doing some research on acceptance and commitment therapy for uh, a, a program that I'm putting together right now. And I was looking at how you choose your values. And again, it's an incredibly important part of figuring out who you are is figuring out what makes you tick, your values, your sense of doing and being. But even uh, people in my office, I remember I did this for a while. You just get stuck. I don't even know what my values are. Yeah, oh, they come into my office. I really got to dig deep and figure out my values. And even that, I got to figure out my values. Again, a story my brain is using to. One of the research researchers I was reading was suggesting that if their client is stuck on trying to figure out who they are or what their values are, or they're not quite sure what action to do next, they just say, just go outside and start walking and talking because you're going to start doing and experiencing, and that will lead you to more more uh, connection or things you'll realize the things you like or don't like, or you're going to do the opposite of just trying to sit in your room and think about it or just do. And unfortunately, too often, then we turn to things for distraction, especially things like social media or our games or just uh, mindless things, mindless activities. And what are we doing? We're starting to dig that neuro pathway a little bit deeper. We're starting to create this relational frame that when I feel down, now I pick up my phone. So over time, the brain says, this is what we do. So when we start to feel down, we pick up our phone and then we don't get as much accomplished as we want but we'll do it again tomorrow. I feel like this research goes right in line with acceptance and commitment therapy in this concept called expansion. So I can, when I'm aware that I am thinking, ruminating, trying to fix something in my mind, then I can bless my brain's pink, squishy heart. I know it's trying to do me a favor, but then what I need to do is start doing, start taking action. And I can invite, here's that, that expansion. I can invite my thoughts of not wanting to do something to come right along with me while I do whatever it is I need to do, or even not what I need to do, just do something because doing something might lead to something else. And then eventually you're going to find yourself either really discovering who you are, or you will do the things that you need to do that will start to make you feel better. And I have talked, it's bumped my stand-up desk there. 
I have talked about this push-up project that I have done. And this, I feel, is one of the biggest examples of this that, that it became a little more clear even as I was listening to this or reading this research data. I was convinced that I was going to acceptance and commitment therapy the heck out of wanting to do push-ups when people left my office. And the first step of that was I had always said, okay, I want to do 100 push-ups a day. But then I would find that if I didn't do my push-ups and it was already halfway through the day, then, well, I'm not going to get to 100, so I might as well do it tomorrow. So then I did an acceptance and commitment therapy value-based goal of fitness. Fitness is a value of mine. So push-ups would become the vehicle that I would engage in the fitness while I was at work. So then I found that the goal was just to do push-ups. And then my brain would say, well, how many? I don't even know. That's not even the point. So there were days where then client, a client would walk out of my office and I would close the door and I would just do one set of 20, 25 pushups. And then it wasn't 100. My brain would say that wasn't even very many, but I would say, I'm not even arguing that brain. The goal was just to do pushups. And what I found was pretty quickly, then I would find myself doing maybe two or three sets when people would walk out the door. And there would still be days where I wouldn't do any. And then my brain would say, well, there you go. Uh, there's your old pattern. And, but that wasn't the point. The point was that that is my value-based goal and I'm human and I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be perfect at anything. I'm not going to do this every single day as much as I would like, because if I put that kind of pressure on myself, then as soon as I don't do whatever it is that I'm setting my sights to do, then my brain gets to beat me up and tell myself that, see, you can't even keep that up. And then you might as well just go back to a path of least resistance and, and not doing the push-ups. And I really was convinced that, yeah, I knew it wasn't going to take 21 days. I knew it probably wasn't going to take three months. Maybe it's going to take six months. But I found that, honest to goodness, it took well over a year because I was slowly but surely carving this new neuropathway. And what that looked like was, I remember, I remember even one of the times where as my client walked out of the office, I found myself closing the door and almost getting in and assuming the push-up position because now this had become the new neuropathway. And along that way, there were many times where I just didn't want to do them. And I would tell myself, no problem. Not even, again, not arguing that if I want to do it or not want to do it, that's myself trying to think my way out of this problem. But I'm going to invite not wanting to do the push-ups to come down on the ground with me while I do the push-ups. And so now there can be days where between every single session, I may do a set of 25, 30. And there are days where there might just be a few sessions where I do the push-ups, but I am doing so many more because it has now become the path of least resistance. So I feel like this data, this research, what's fascinating about it is, is it, it's going to take more time than you think, which is absolutely fine. And it's going to require doing a lot more than thinking. And a big component of that is not even trying to push the, I don't want to do it story out of my mind, because that's what can lead us to beat ourselves up, feel guilty, even dip into shame, but recognizing and acknowledging, oh, absolutely. I, I know I don't want to do it, but that's not even a productive thought. And let me get down on the floor and do those push-ups, whatever that is for what your experience is. And by, by starting to really challenge yourself to just go and do instead of try to think or figure it out, then your brain's going to immediately jump to some of the good old cognitive distortions, the all or nothing or the black or white. You'll immediately start saying, okay, well, okay, I'm going to go out and start doing something, but it's not even going to matter. Or I was talking with someone recently and they are really, they're really interested in fitness but right now they feel like there are so many things going on in their life that they feel like, okay, but what's the point? I got to figure out life first. And that's one of those things where I feel like we're doing things a little bit backwards. I need to go and take action on something that matters to me, let's say fitness. And then that's going to raise my emotional baseline to a point where I'll be able to engage in life more than if I'm just trying to figure things out. 
if I'm just trying to think about what I need to do instead of start to do. Because the more you start to do, then that is going to put you in the path of more people. It's going to put you in the, especially if you're doing things that really matter to you, more people, like-minded people, people that have similar stories, people that have similar experiences, maybe with similar values, which is going to boost your confidence. And this is where I say often that you're going to start going from point A to B, maybe B to C, C to D, that you don't have to know the end of the story because that story can change. It's oftentimes that we feel like we have to know the end of the story that keeps us paralyzed because we're not even sure if we want to get to the end of that story or if that's even the right story to get to. And so you can see how our brain can overthink anything. So we just need to start doing. And I feel like that's one of the most fascinating things about this research. One other part of that too, is I love geeking out about this thing called the trans theoretical model of change, the TTM. And what's fascinating about that is we don't know what we don't know. It's as simple as that. So often we think that once we know something new, then we need to do it immediately and we'll become perfect at it. But this trans theoretical model of change talks about that we didn't even know something. And then we know it, but we're not taking action on it. Then we take action on it. Then we fall into maybe a pattern where we're doing it. But even then we typically let our foot off the gas and then they talk about it, they call it relapse. And so then we don't do it anymore. And then we aren't even aware that we weren't doing it. And so then we have to start the whole cycle over. So again, perfectly normal part of being human. And the more you do that cycle, even the more it starts to become this path of least resistance. You absolutely don't have to be perfect on a behavior, whether it's journaling, whether it's exercise, whether it's communicating more effectively with your kids or your spouse, it's just start, just start trying, just start doing and don't beat yourself up. Or if you find that you are beating yourself up, notice it, note it. Don't try to push it out of your mind. Don't try to magically change it. Don't try to tell yourself some other story instead, because those things lead us back to the path of least resistance. So you may say, and I talk about this often, one of the, the type of therapy models that I was taught early, this uh, cognitive behavioral therapy said that thoughts lead to emotions and emotions to behaviors. And I, and I understand that. And there are a lot of really good cognitive behavioral therapists, but I did that for six, seven years and would find that that, that takes on this mechanic, mechanistic view of the brain, that the brain is this, this a machine and you replace one part and then the rest of it works perfectly. And for my experience in therapy over 17 years, that isn't the way it works. That that's starting with this premise of that you're already broken. You have these automatic negative thoughts or stinking thinking. And now you just need to, to magically insert new thought and then the rest of your day will go great. So if I wake up and I feel I don't feel very good, and if I say, nope, today I'm gonna have an amazing day. Now, again, I'm all for positive affirmations that they can be really helpful and good. But then if then the day starts to go the way it may go, uh, you get in a car wreck, you're running late, one of your kids throws up on the carpet or any of those things, and you then you're frustrated or angry. Now you feel worse because oh, I was going to, this is supposed to be a good day. I was gonna make this a good day. So I'm more of a fan of, again, you're the only version of you. You're a human. You are going to have thoughts, feelings, and emotions because you are human. But then once you recognize that you're having those thoughts or feelings or emotions, then you don't try to shove them away. You don't try to just flip them and change them. You don't try to push them down. You not, you acknowledge them, you make room for them, but then you turn and take action. You, you turn to a value of compassion or connection or humor. One of the best things that I feel like you can do, especially in those scenarios where you, let's say, hypothetically speaking, rent a car in Las Vegas for a summer league and scrape the entire side of the car up against a yellow pylon. Again, purely hypothetical. All you can do is just step back and just say, 
okay. And said, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? And why did I do that? It's like, well, nobody meant to do that. I just did it. And so just looking at things with that humor and not trying to beat oneself up and just making room for grace because we're all human. We're all just trying our best. And I feel like that is at the core, that grace is where we really need to go. Because if we get caught up in the what's wrong with me, beat myself up cycle, then what are we doing? We're just thinking again. We're just ruminating and thinking and feeling bad. And we just need to do. And that hypothetical scenario uh, where I ran my car against the side of this pylon, we went, my son and I just went into the game and spent the whole day just very present and watching these basketball games. And of course, I knew that the car was out there scraped up and I knew I was going to have to deal with that when we took it back to the airport. But none of that was going to help me in that moment. So it was just a matter of being back to present and everything turned out to be okay. I know I just uh, said a lot of things today and there are going to be things that I'm going to think about later that I missed in this opportunity. But I hope that you pick up on the vibe that I was trying to share today of that you are, you're doing okay. You're doing far better than you think you are. But we have this, uh, this desire, desire, this uh, programming to then beat ourselves up or to do the what's wrong with me story. And I, I often say, if that was really the key to life, we would all be amazing because we're all really good at beating ourselves up. But I'm suggesting that's not the right model. That's not the right way to get yourself out of a situation or feeling stuck in your life or whatever that looks like. That instead, recognize, man, I feel down. And, and that's okay, because if you really step back and look at the situations in your life, you might have kids that are struggling right now. You might have people that are, someone may have passed away. You might have people moving out of the house. There might be so many different things happening in your life. So if you didn't feel the way you did, that would be, that would be odd because you're a human being with feelings and thoughts and emotions and hopes and dreams and all of those things. So you're going to feel, you're going to get all the feels. And sometimes there are going to be more feels than, than other times. And that's part of this human experience. And so too often we have this view that then I just got to be happy. And in order to be happy, I just need to find these just temporary moments of whatever that looks like, whether it's sugar or, or games or whatever it is. But the real definition of happiness is finding this, this sense of purpose and then taking action on things that really matter to you and, and finding out the your values, not what somebody feels like you're supposed to do, but your values and then taking action on those. And as you do that, you will begin to find yourself you'll begin to feel more of a connection to, to, to God, to your family, to those around you. It will raise your confidence and your emotional baseline, and you will start to find yourself in this much better place. And that is the way to then be able to handle everyone else telling you what you're supposed to do. Because uh, bless their heart, how adorable that they think that they know exactly what you're going through or what you need to do with your life. That's up to you. And it, it's sure it's scary, but the more you become good at recognizing and taking action on the things that matter to you, the more confident that you'll be and the easier that will be to, to make those distinctions of other people that are trying to should on you. I hope you have an amazing day. I hope you recognize that, that your brain is trying to dig back into these old patterns. And so it's going to take some action to start to carve out these new neural pathways, but why not start today? And even just thinking about taking action is starting to carve this new neural pathway but then doing is even better. So I would love to hear your thoughts too. If you have thoughts or questions or some of the things that are the biggest challenges to you, feel free to send them my way. Go through the tonyoverbay.com. You can send something through the comment section there. And, and I appreciate you going on this journey with me. And I look forward to hearing down the road even from people that, that have started to recognize that it really does require more doing. And it's even better when you start doing the things that really matter to you. All right, um, taking us out as per usual. 
the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence with uh, the appropriately titled song, It's Wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most Explode, allow the un- 